0: Grace and peace to you, and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Ozzaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. And that's what Jesus promised in John 10:10. And today we continue in a timely series called Peace in an Anxious World. This might be a message you think was just for you. Well, Pastor Sean is going to share some ideas on developing new habits centered around finding peace. Instead of those leading to more anxiety, a simple life adjustment could improve your heart, mind, and soul. RealLife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. But if you feel led to bless this listener supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at RealLife.org. Today is part one of the message called The Power of Habits. Pastor Sean is teaching from John chapter 3. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio.
1: Peace in an Anxious World. We started last week talking about how God knows that we are prone to anxiety and that there are things that can make us anxious because the scripture warns against it. It talks about do not be anxious. Almost presents it, it actually presents it as a a command. It's like, well, how can I control it? Well, we looked at the scripture and we saw how we can really address our heart, our mind, and just our our spirit and things that we can do to help grow in this area and put ourselves in a place of peace rather than anxiety. Well, this week I want to continue came across an outstanding resource from a friend of mine. It's a book. It hadn't even come out yet. It comes out this month. The book is called Finding Quiet, and the author is J.P. Moreland. Now, J.P. Moreland, if you've been around Christian circles, maybe if you're a reader, you probably know who he is. If not, he's the Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. He's a well-known author, speaker. He's really a thought leader in the Christian community at large. And... He is someone who has struggled with serious anxiety. He struggled with serious anxiety. And in this book, Finding Quiet, one of the beautiful things he does is he breaks it all down and he just lays his heart out. So I want to let him tell his story if I can. I just want to read some sections from the book so you can hear what this Christian leader, this bright, godly man went through. And I want you to hear that in his words. He's talking about the year 2003. He says, I'm not a light sleeper, but at 2.30 in the morning on May 24th, I awoke dripping wet with sweat, my heart pounding through my chest, my body filled with electricity and adrenaline. It was as though I sensed a large tiger in the house. I went from room to room to see if something was wrong. The previous nine-month school year had been the most stressful time of my life, at least since early childhood. Yet something was happening to me that I had never encountered before and of which I had no understanding Unknown to me, I was having a severe panic attack. My wife, Hope, woke up to ask what was wrong. All I could tell her was that I was shaking, that electricity was running from the back of my head to my chest, and that I was afraid, but I didn't know of what. I decided to take a walk around our block, and I did so until the sun came up. That weekend, I must have walked around our block a hundred times. Two specific thoughts were anxiety-producing to me. I couldn't get them out of my mind. One thought was about a critic of me and my work who was spreading lies about my character, Eventually, he was identified and exposed by others, but I didn't know this would happen. All I could think about were his attacks and the fact that my life's work would be undone. The second thought was that I was going to lose my job as professor because of these false attacks, which would leave my family and me destitute. See, when you're anxious, you don't always think rationally. Yet these thoughts seem very, very real and very dangerous to me. As I walked all weekend, I battled with those thoughts, trying to find some distance and relief from them. On Monday morning, I had, of all things, jury duty. When it rains, it pours. If you didn't have anxiety before, this will do it. He said, I was not not actually called to serve, but for seven hours that day, I lay on the floor in the back of the jury pool room and tried to read one of Dallas Willard's books. By mid-afternoon, I had fallen apart. I was in the midst of the most frightening, fragmenting battle for my sanity I had ever known. For seven months... I experienced daily panic attacks. I felt intense anxiety except when sleeping. I couldn't see the world as it really is. I spent a lot of time for the first month or so lying on the couch because I did not have the energy to get up. I was afraid of irrational things. I was in fear every time I checked my email. My heart would start pounding every time the phone rang. I couldn't drive on the freeway. Too much stimulation. I couldn't attend my grandchildren's soccer games. And for about six weeks, I couldn't have them in my home. It was just too much stimulation. I wanted to be left alone. So I often curled up in a ball and worried about everything. I can remember wanting desperately to get out of my own skin, but I was stuck in it. I never seriously contemplated suicide, but many times I asked God to kill me in an automobile accident or in some other way. I thought my whole life had been a waste and I saw no purpose for living. I wanted to die so the pain would go away. Maybe you've experienced something like this, or maybe you know someone who's experienced something like this. If you've struggled with anxiety, I said it last week, but I think it's important to point it out again. You are not alone. I know we in the Christian community, sometimes I don't think we handle these things well. We kind of try to put on a smiley, happy face on our weekend services, and everything's okay, and I'm victorious, I'm living with God, and we, we force people who are struggling with things kind of to the fringes. And I I just want to say, if you struggle with anxiety, you're not alone. We're talking about a, a smart, mature, godly Christ follower who didn't understand what was going on to him. Remember last week, we talked about some of the statistics. We talked about an epidemic of anxiety. Close to a third of us at one time or another in our life will experience some type of anxiety disorder. And it's getting worse. We saw that things like isolation instability, the pace that we run are all complicators and contributors to anxiety. So this morning, I want to ask you kind of a pointed question. You don't have to answer out loud, obviously, but I want you to process a little bit. What's your level of anxiety? What would you say your level of anxiety is as you stop and think about this? Severe, like JP, that kind of thing? Maybe you've experienced panic attacks. Maybe you've gone through this and you can relate and identify. Or maybe it's not that severe. Maybe it's more moderate. Nearly half of us, studies show, have experienced moderate levels of anxiety. We're stressed all the time, fidgeting, can't sit still, fearful or fear-driven, worrying constantly, the constant what-ifs. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if he says this? What if she does this? We have a problem concentrating when you have moderate anxiety. Maybe you're irritable, unexplainably irritable. Maybe you have problems sleeping. Maybe you have social anxiety. I just can't be around people. I just can't handle it. It's moderate anxiety. Maybe you've experienced that. Or maybe you experience what far more of us experience, just low-grade anxiety. It's like there, it's kind of like a hum that happens. You know how you walk in a room and there's a hum, and at first you hear it, but after a while you don't even hear it anymore. You can't even hear the noise from an air conditioner or from a sound system or something. It's just like it's just back becomes white noise. That's how low grade anxiety can be. We just live at such high levels of stress all the time, it can begin to feel normal. But here's the thing your body will begin to rebel and tell you what's happening. Have you ever experienced an eye twitch? Anybody ever experienced an eye twitch? Any of you experiencing it right now? <laughs> Tightness in your chest, heart palpitations, stomach issues, tension headaches. How about the phone obsession? You know what FOMO is, right? FOMO, fear of missing out. Do you know how many times people are just glued to the phone, to social media and other things, because there's this fear of missing out? And, and I've known people who struggle with this idea, and, and it's like this, the, their social media accounts are a constant comparison game. Well, I made a comment, and I only got this many likes, or I only this many people commented, but, but she made this comment, and, and everybody commented, oh my gosh, people must not think this, and all this stuff happens. And we get this nervous tick with our phones. You ever been in a situation where it's a little uncomfortable, and so you go to the phone? The safety of the phone, my precious. <laughs> get in an elevator. Someone, you're in an elevator alone. You're sitting there. Someone comes in. You know, they get in. They're going to go to another floor. The third floor, please. And you, all of a sudden, you're on the phone. The safety of the phone. Otherwise, what if I look at them, or they look at me? What if he or she says something? Oh, no, But have got to be on the phone. It literally becomes a n- almost a nervous tick. It's like, I, I just checked it 15 seconds ago. What do I think has changed? And it is. It's almost a physical manifestation, a nervous habit with the phones. JP in the book describes how he sought counsel for his anxiety. He went to a Christian therapist. Actually went to a doctor and was prescribed anti-anxiety medication. He spent a lot of time in prayer and reading the word to understand what was happening through this process he was free for 10 years seven month bout, and then he overcame it and was free for 10 years and then by to use his own description he got careless he got careless he got really busy he took on too much at work and he didn't watch his stress level and that's one of the things if you struggle with anxiety stress is one of the key triggers and he got careless and didn't watch it. And he says, and he, says this, he says, when you're prone to anxiety, stress is enemy number one. But not for me, I thought. After all, I was a distinguished professor and Christian leader. Surely all this panic attack business was behind me. I think the weekly activities of university teaching helped suppress any growing anxiety. That's a really important idea. The busyness that's actually contributing can cover it up. I think a lot of us sometimes have to try to cover up things like anxiety or depression or things like that through with just busyness. Well, with anxiety, it doesn't necessarily help. But with just one week left in the spring semester, having just presented a philosophical paper at a high-level academic conference, I walked to my car to go home, and boom. Seemingly out of nowhere, I was hit with a relapse of panic, terrorizing fear, and high-level anxiety. This time, it was five months. Five months. Well, he writes that he became a student of anxiety. He read... Devoured, really, is the word he used, at least 40 books, both faith based and secular, on the subject of anxiety. And again, he's a PhD, brilliant man, professor, teacher, so he dug into this thing. And he says this he says, in that time, he says, God spoke to me. He told me he never wanted this to happen to me again. And while he would be with me, I needed to see the future weeks and months as a learning pilgrimage. I needed to learn all I could about anxiety and depression and begin to practice daily what I learned. And he says what he learned absolutely changed him. It really did. It changed him. In fact, so much so, within two years, he went through some real medical issues. He experienced multiple issues with cancer, which he describes in the book, but he then summarizes it with this. He says, what's the point of all this? During a two-year period, I contracted four cancers, I had four inpatient surgeries, one outpatient surgery, and I was on chemotherapy for seven months. He says, yet I was the happiest, calmest, and most peaceful I had been in years. He says, I had virtually no anxiety at all. I am not exaggerating. And I totally believe him. The guy laid it out so fully in the book, I don't think he has any reason to lie now. He says, I'm not exaggerating. My close friends, my wife, and daughters regularly commented they couldn't believe how peaceful and happy I was throughout it all. The reason was that for about two years, I'd been practicing the things I had discovered.
0: And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church, in this message called The Power of Habits. In this series, Peace in an Anxious World which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio.
1: I want to say to you, if if you you struggle with anxiety, maybe you've had panic attacks, or maybe you've had higher levels of anxiety, or even even just feel like it's an issue for you, his book, Finding Quiet, it's not even released yet. In fact, I heard about it through a friend, contacted JP, he gave me a release, a pre-release copy, sent me the PDF of his manuscript before he released it so that I could have it for this series. It's an incredible resource. It's Finding Quiet by JP Moreland. Um, it is a wonderful account of what he learned and a great resource if maybe you've struggled with anxiety. Now, what I want to say, as we kind of unpack a little bit, is a lot of Christians are uncomfortable with J.P.'s account, his conclusions, and some of the things he talks about. And, and one of the things I think we do is is there's this kind of bias that says, well, we have the spirit. We have the spirit of God. Why should we need therapy, counselors? Why should we need medication and I think that's a conversation we need to have as a church. We need to have that conversation. Now, I want to ask you, do you take that kind of line of thought with any other area of your life? I I assume you probably will go to a physical doctor if you know there's something wrong, you know something that medicine can do will help you. I assume that, well, like we built a house a couple years ago, and I had engineers design the slab and approve the plans. And you're like, well, why would you do that, man? You have the Holy Spirit. God knows more. He created all things, man. Why would you let an engineer do it? You could have just prayed and the Lord would have told you. And and let me just say, I believe in a miracle working God. I believe in the power of God. If God wanted to impart all the knowledge of engineering in my head, he could do that. It would be a challenge because of my head, but he could do it. But there is nothing in Scripture to suggest that we shouldn't learn from from the the knowledge that is gathered in the world around us. The scripture talks about the things of Egypt and Lebanon and the different things that the people of God learned from and benefited from. Here's a a thing I want you to understand, by the way. If you kind of have that bias of, well, if I seek help outside, then I'm not having faith in God. I I just want to stop and point out something to you. You do realize all truth is God's truth, Right? Every truth on the face of the planet. If some scientist, some atheist, godless scientist who, who shakes his fist at God discovers something about the natural world tomorrow and brings it out, and it is true, that's God's truth because God created it. And just because the person who's bringing it to us and who's teaching us about this truth doesn't believe in God doesn't mean that that's not God's truth. God is the creator. He's the originator of all things. He created us. He created us with amazing capacities to learn, to understand, to grow. And it is tragic that people don't acknowledge who he is. But the fact is, if there is a truth that is discovered and that exists in the world, it is there because God created it. All truth is God's truth. And so to close ourselves off in these areas, I think really hurts us. And I do think in the area of the Christian church, we have closed ourselves off sometimes to some understanding and to a more holistic approach. And here's here's what I mean by that. You do understand. And we talk about it all the time. We are body, soul, and spirit. And all those things work together and they impact each other. In John 3, 5 and 6, look what Jesus says. He says, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. He talks about this distinction. There's there's the flesh, there's a spirit. And the scripture talks over and over about the soul, body, soul, and spirit. And they all work together. In the book, J.P. has a wonderful section on the soul and the spirit's relationship to the body. Here's how he describes the soul. I want you to listen to to these words because they're very precise. And I've taught on this. I've thought about the soul, the spirit, and the body, and the relation. But he really brings something home in a way that I hadn't heard before and I think is helpful. He describes the soul as, listen, an immaterial substance or thing that contains consciousness and it animates and enlivens the body. It enlivens the body. So it is an immaterial substance, but. It brings to life. It holds our consciousness. The soul, and we've talked about this for, is the center of the will, the mind. There's a difference between the mind and the brain. It's the center of the will, the mind, the emotions, the spirit, our beliefs, our consciousness. That's what resides in the soul as independent from the body and even as separate or at least distinct from the unique aspect of the soul that or the spirit that part of us that communes with God he gives an illustration and I think it's a great illustration he says think about salt water if you put salt and dissolve it in water it changes the water and it becomes something different just like the soul changes the body to make the human life He says, if you could extract the salt from the water, it's no longer salt water. In the same way, and listen, if you extract the soul from the body, it's no longer really a body but a corpse. While materially it hasn't changed, yet everything has changed. The physical hardware is all there, but it cannot and will not function. The eye can be perfectly operational, but without the soul, it it can't see It can't think, it can't register. And he's talking about this. He goes into great depth, and it's a great section of the book, and I encourage you to check it out. But he talks about how anxiety impacts these three distinct areas, body, soul, and spirit. And therefore, how we treat and how we approach growing through anxiety to peace will involve all three areas, body, soul, and spirit. He points out, as far as body, he says, some people are just genetically more predisposed to anxiety. His grandfather was he describes a nervous wreck. His mother had the same thing. They have, he and his wife have two daughters. one looks more like him. Which one do you think sh- struggles with anxiety? The one who looks more like him, there are genetic factors that can contribute i don't i 'm not saying well then you're just if you have genetic factors that contribute to higher levels of anxiety or, di- or higher more volatile responses to anxiety. I'm not saying, well, then you're stuck. Sorry, nothing we can do for you. I'm just saying that's a reality. Just like lots of other things, we can have genetic predispositions towards certain types of responses and behaviors. He points out if you suffered severe trauma earlier in your life, you could be at higher risk. He talks about, he does a great illustration using the idea of golf, and he talks about anxiety-inducing habits. And that's really what I want us to Focus in on the title of the message this morning: is the power of habits and anxiety-inducing habits. It's like bad golf habits. And he says, "You can't if you have bad golf habits." Anybody here have bad golf habits? I proudly raise my hand. Because of my background as a polo player, I literally can hit a golf ball better with one hand than two. That is true. If you've ever seen me play golf, like no, no, that's. (laughs) But bad golf habits, like if you have bad golf habits, you know that you can't just go read golf books, and just go. I'm gonna just. I'm just going to meditate on golf books, okay? Uh, I'm just going to go to a, a golf seminar. I'm not just going to I'm going to go listen to golf speakers. Man, when I listen to golf speakers, I just think I'm getting better. I'm going to sing golf songs. You can't just sing golf songs as beautiful as they are, mind you. Swing low. You, know, I mean, <laughs> you can't just read golf books, listen to golf speakers, or... Sing golf songs and hope to get better. At the end of the day, you are going to have to get with a professional or a coach and you are going to have to learn new habits. Because the only way to get better at golf is to train yourself in new habits. That's when we start talking about counseling. We start talking about even relational ministry. We start talking about therapy. The whole focus is typically about identifying bad habits because there are anxiety-inducing habits, things that can make you more anxious, things that will either, habits, there are habits that will help, or there are habits that will hinder and make worse and pour gas on an already out-of-control fire. Relearning habits and getting rid of, and, and developing habits that reduce anxiety rather than cause them. Think about some habits. Like if you're constantly prone to negative self-talk, You start, anytime something goes wrong, you start talking about it and focusing on it and and talking, oh, it's going to be this, it's going to be this, it's going to be this. That is an anxiety-inducing habit. The constant what ifs, well, what if this? What if this? What if this? That is an anxiety-inducing habit. Overfilling your schedule. Ooh, that just got personal. That's an anxiety-inducing habit. And see, folks, habits are powerful. He gives a great definition of a habit the book says a habit is an ingrained tendency to act think or feel a certain way without needing to choose to do so did you hear that without needing to choose to do so habits are those things that once we develop them we don't have to sit and think about it to do them that we just do it because well it's a habit that's what we do i've gotten into a habit and i just do it the fact is sometimes when it comes to anxiety we're gonna have to unlearn some bad habits that fuel the anxiety and relearn some new habits that help combat or resist anxiety bottom line habits are powerful and if you're taking notes i want you to write this down god created us body soul and spirit freedom from anxiety will involve new habits in all three it'll involve new habits in all three
0: that's pastor sean azaro you've been listening to reaching for real life radio and if you'd like to hear this full message in the series peace in an anxious world available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page, or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road, right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, As Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.
1: River City Community Church is a church for real life. Real life is what we were created for and what we're all about. In fact, our mission is more people living real life by passionately following Jesus. Hi, I'm Pastor Sean Azaro, and we believe we were made to have a life full of meaning and purpose that can only be found in relationship with our Creator. That's what real life is. It's not just a church thing. It's a way of living that powerfully impacts every area of our lives. River City is come as you are and has a relaxed, casual feel with practical teaching, inspirational worship, and age-appropriate ministry for the whole family. We're located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Our current service times are 9.30 and 11.30 Sunday mornings. River City is a church for real life, and so our home on the web is reallife.org. We hope you'll come and see us as you travel the road to real life. star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals
0: in the military.
1: Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off
0: alarm bells. <laughs>